Our reading for today comes from the book of Isaiah. We're going to read chapters 36 and 37, starting with chapter 36, which you can find on page 720 of the Church Bible. Chapter 36. In the fourteenth year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. And the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army. And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And there came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And the Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, Thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? Do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In whom do you now trust that you have rebelled against me? Behold, you are trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. But if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I will give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain amongst the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen. Moreover, is it without the Lord that I have come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. Then Eliakim, Shebna and Joah said to the Rabshakeh, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Don't speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of those people who are on the wall. But the Rabshakeh said, Has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you, and not to the men sitting on the wall, who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then the Rabshakeh stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, Do not let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for thus says the king of Assyria. Make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his own vine and each one of his own fig tree and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has 
any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of, of Sepharvaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? But they were silent and answered him not a word, for the king's command was, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder, came to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and told him the words of the Rabshakeh. Chapter 37. As soon as King Hezekiah heard it, he tore his clothes and covered himself with sackcloth and went into the house of the Lord. And he sent Eliakim, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and the senior priests, covered with sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah, the son of Amos. They said to him, thus says Hezekiah, this day is a day of distress, of rebuke, and of disgrace. Children have come to the point of birth, and there is no strength to bring them forth. It may be that the Lord your God will hear the words of the Rabshakeh, whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God, and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. When the servants of King Hezekiah came to Isaiah, Isaiah said to them, Say to your master, Thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard, with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him, so that he shall hear a rumour and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. The Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria fighting against Libna, for he had heard the king had left Lachish. Now the king heard concerning Terhaka, king of Cush, he has set out to fight against you. And when he heard it, he sent messages to Hezekiah, saying, Thus shall you speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed, Gozan, Haran, Rezef, and the people of Eden who were in Talassa? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, the king of the city of Sepharvaim, the king of Hena, or the king of Iva? Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. 
Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Then Isaiah, the son of Amos, sent to Hezekiah, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. She despises you. She scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. By your servants you have mocked the Lord and you have said, With my many chariots, I've gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon, to cut down its tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses, to come to its remotest heights, its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank waters to dry up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? I planned from days of old what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins, while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded, and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. Because you have raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put a hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this shall be the sign for you. This year you shall eat what grows of itself and in the second year what springs from that Then in the third year sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. And the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall again take root downwards and bear fruit upwards. For out of Jerusalem shall go a remnant and out of Mount Zion a band of survivors. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same he shall return and he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. 
And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramalech and Sharizah, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Ruth, thank you for reading so well for us. Um, It was a long reading, but it's a great reading. Um, That's why we've had all of it read. Please do keep Isaiah 36 and 37 open in front of you. And uh, let me lead us in prayer again as we begin. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Father God, thank you uh, that your word is reliable, that we can trust you. Thank you that Jesus is seated on the throne. Please would your word give us confidence this is true and would we live rightly in response to the glory and praise of your name. Amen. We all know, don't we, how even the best laid plans can go up in smoke. You've read all the books, you've done the research on the internet, but you try and fix that leaking tap and half an hour later there is water spraying everywhere. You've had the lessons with the coach, you've done all the training, but it gets to match day and you just bottle it. Or how about the student, they feel ready for uni, they've spoken to their mates, they've looked around the accommodation, but freshers week comes round and the wheels fall off. What works in theory doesn't work in practice. Indeed, it might work in theory, but it falls apart when reality bites. And Isaiah 36 to 39, we're looking at the first half of it today, it's really a test case for how faith operates when reality bites. As I heard someone say just this last week, we're all people of faith, except when we're not. As followers of Jesus Christ, it can be all going so well, so brilliantly when the sun's out, spiritually speaking. But when the storm clouds gather... When the thunder roars and the lightning strikes and the rain lashes down, we might discover our faith isn't as firm as we first thought. Does faith, uh, trust in God, does it only work in theory? If we've been here over recent weeks, we'll know Isaiah has been calling on God's people to have a firm faith in the Lord God. Uh, Ever since chapter 7, we've had these words ringing in our ears. If you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. You see, Hezekiah's father, King Ahaz, he was presented with a very similar scenario at the beginning of this book. Just like Ahaz, Hezekiah is confronted with an invading force intent on destroying Jerusalem. Just look at chapter 36, verse 1 again. In the 14th year of King Hezekiah, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came up against all the fortified cities of Judah and took them. So we're bracing ourselves for what happens when an unstoppable army meets an immovable God. And then the king of Assyria's right-hand man, this Rabshakeh, meets at exactly the same location where Isaiah challenges Ahaz to trust the Lord all those years before. Verse 2, the king of Assyria sent the Rabshakeh from Lachish to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem with a great army, And he stood by the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. 
they came out to him Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, who was over the household, and Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, the son of Asaph, the recorder. And you see, it is precisely because of Ahaz's refusal to trust in this exact place that the Rabshakeh is now standing there. And it's not just any nation threatening Hezekiah, it's Assyria, the very nation Ahaz chose to trust in the place of God. So we've got these two kings of Judah, father and son, both threatened with imminent destruction as far as they know. Both recognizing the inadequacy of their own strength. Both with the same dilemma, do they trust the nations or do they trust the Lord God? You see this uh, section before us today is the the bookend uh, of the first half of Isaiah. And so the key issue is flagged up for us again in verse 4 of chapter 36. The Rabshakeh said to them, Say to Hezekiah, thus says the great king, the king of Assyria, On what do you rest this trust of yours? These two chapters are a clarion call to rest our trust on God's word. There's the central theme running through this section. Trust God's word to save, even in a mocking world. Trust God's word to save, even in a mocking world. And the mockery of the world, it is hard to miss, isn't it? Uh, You'll see there, firstly, on the outline, it is hard to trust God's word in a mocking world. Uh, This uh, Rabshakeh, he is a master of rhetoric and spin. He takes pages straight out of the devil's playbook. Did God really say? And his speech is brutal, isn't it? It's a a four-pronged attack on Hezekiah and God's people. Uh, First up, he says, Egypt, Egypt is no hope. Verse five, do you think that mere words are strategy and power for war? In him do you now trust that you've rebelled against me? Behold, You're trusting in Egypt, that broken reed of a staff which will pierce the hand of any man who leans on it. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who trust in him. And then he says, the Lord, Yahweh is no hope. Verse seven, if you say to me, we trust in the Lord our God, is it not he whose high places and altars Hezekiah has removed, saying to Judah and to Jerusalem, you shall worship before this altar? Their military strength, well, that's no hope. Verse 8, come now, make a wager with my master, the king of Assyria. I'll give you 2,000 horses if you are able on your part to set riders on them. How then can you repulse a single captain among the least of my master's servants when you trust in Egypt for chariots and for horsemen? And then to top it all off, the Rabshakeh says they're just doing what God told them to do. God is on their side, actually. Verse 10, moreover, is it without the Lord that I've come up against this land to destroy it? The Lord said to me, go up against this land and destroy it. And what makes his speech so effective? It is, it's mixed with truth. The taunts, they have some truth in them, don't they? Isaiah's already been warning about trusting in Egypt. They are no source of true hope. Hezekiah has removed the high places, except they're not places of true worship of the Lord. Assyria does have massively more military might than Judah. It's all true. And God is in control of Assyria coming up against Jerusalem. It all sounds so plausible and so believable. But there's one fatal flaw. 
They've not banked on the Lord God ruling the nations. But before we get there, let's, let's linger a little here. You see, mockery, it is such an effective weapon, isn't it? It's why Eliakim and his pals asked the Rabsaka not to use the language of the people. But all that does is just make him redouble his efforts. And then Eliakim, Shebna and Joah said to the Rabsaka, please speak to your servants in Aramaic, for we understand it. Don't speak to us in the language of Judah within the hearing of the people who are on the wall. But the Rabsaka said, has my master sent me to speak these words to your master and to you and not to the men sitting on the wall who are doomed with you to eat their own dung and drink their own urine? Then the Rabsaka stood and called out in a loud voice in the language of Judah, hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you for he will not be able to deliver you. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah for thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat of his vine and each uh, one of his own fig tree and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Again, there's a, a smattering of truth. These other gods of the nations are no gods at all. These other nations have been smashed. But what makes this second speech so persuasive is it's so appealing. Assyria offers a counterfeit salvation. Seven times in verses 13 to 20, we get the word deliver. And what Assyria offers is a parody, a fake imitation of what only God can offer. And you see that they promise an exile in slavery that really sounds like paradise. Uh, the word for blessing, uh, sorry, the word for peace in verse 16 is literally blessing. Uh, the Rabsaka says they can deliver, they can give you what you really want if only you side with us. And isn't it just like the world today? We still hear exactly the same arguments, exactly the same smooth speech. Uh, there's the, the straight up denial of what God said. You can't really believe what the Bible says about that anymore, can you? I mean, it's so outdated, so repressive, so harmful. You don't want to be thought of as bigoted, do you? But so often the truth is mixed in with a lie to help swallow the pill. Church numbers are declining. Fewer young people are coming to church. Christians still suffer and get ill. What good has your faith done you? If God is so great, why are churches emptying at a rate of knots? And it's still the same in what the world offers. That the world offers acceptance and blessing. But ultimately, going the way of the nations leads to slavery and death. I remember being asked at a job interview, you're going to be a team player, aren't you? And basically the kind of subtext was, if you don't rock the boat, if you don't challenge the status quo, we can all get along just fine. Now, of course, this is no excuse to be obnoxious or mean or rude or unkind. But so often Christians are enticed with precisely what only God can really give in and through Jesus. A relationship, acceptance, pleasure, comfort, joy, security. 
If only we don't insist Jesus really is the only way to be saved. If only we weren't just so clear heaven and hell are real, eternal destinies. If only we could just soften what we say about sin then we could all just fit in and get along. The world still seeks to bully, bludgeon, barter or bribe Christians to side with them. Uh, today the nations are still saying history is on their side. Uh, no other gods have stood in the way of secularism or con- consumerism. Uh, we're on the right side of history, they say. Don't, don't you want to be on the right side of history too? We can see it in the mockery from famous comedians on Twitter. Christians are often the, the easy punch bag. Maybe we hear it in the colleagues who needle and prod and just try and get a reaction. They say, it's just a joke. Well, just the other day I was listening to a radio show where they invited a, a vicar on to talk about what the Bible teaches. And he just said some very simple truths about God's good design for marriage. And they just laughed. They straight up found his faithfulness to the Bible funny. It was so belittling, so humiliating, so unkind, so mean, and yet so normal. For those of you at school, I imagine things will only get harder for a while. But whatever mockery we face, we can be comforted Jesus has gone through far worse than we'll ever face. He knows what it's like. The devil's tactics, they're not new. Do you remember when the devil tempted Jesus, how he even used God's word to try and deceive Truth mixed in with the lie. And then what does he offer? He he promises all the nations of the world. He promises safety. He offers even glory, but a cheap, fake alternative. It might be you're not yet a Christian and, and you know you've been joining in on belittling Christianity. Well, do listen in because there is only one right side of history. In fact, there is only one history and that is his story. God is the one in control. You see, Hezekiah, ultimately he does do the opposite of his father Ahaz. Uh, Ahaz chose to trust his worst enemy rather than God. He, He would not take God at his word. But Hezekiah does turn to the Lord and so God demonstrates he is indeed king over all the nations. Hezekiah finds firm faith when the rubber hits the road. Uh, But rather than pointing us to Hezekiah, ultimately Isaiah points us to the Lord God as the king who rules. Uh, So secondly, today we need to trust the king whose word always wins. We need to trust the king whose word always wins. At first glance, we might assume it's the king of Assyria being contrasted with Hezekiah, the king of Judah. And certainly there are some parallels going on here. Uh, But much more than that, the king of Assyria is being pitched against the Lord God, the the king of the universe. And just in case there's any doubt he's going to win this one, it is the Lord God, the king of the universe. Uh, Very rarely did you spot his Hezekiah referred to as a king, but did we notice how the king of Assyria is referred to as the great king? No, it's the Lord God in one corner versus the king of Assyria in the other. Who is the true king? Uh, Both uh, God and the king of Assyria have a messenger to deliver their words. Uh, They both claim supremacy over their enemy. Uh, They both claim they're the one in control over Jerusalem. They both promise food and land to those who listen to them and follow them, who listen to their word. 
Uh, so actually, we might want to tweak the illustration. It's not so much a boxing ring, but a rap battle. I wonder if you noticed that. Isaiah 36 and 37, a rap battle. There's, there's no direct fighting, but there's a lot of words. Uh, we kind of gloss over it, but it's all about what the king of Assyria says versus what the Lord God says, whose word will win. Uh, so right at the end of chapter 36, how does Hezekiah respond to the rapture? words, which are the king of Assyria's words. He tears his clothes, covers himself in sackcloth and asks Isaiah to pray for them. So chapter 37, verse four. It may be that the Lord your God, he says to Isaiah, will hear the words of the rapture whom his master, the king of Assyria, has sent to mock the living God and will rebuke the words that the Lord your God has heard. Therefore, lift up your prayer for the remnant that is left. And we get the Lord's response through Isaiah in verse six. Isaiah said to them, say to your master, thus says the Lord, do not be afraid because of the words that you've heard with which the young men of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Behold, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. And lo and behold, what happens? But exactly what God's word had said. Uh, the rapture returns to find the king has moved on to Libna, another town near Jerusalem. And there's this report of Tirhaka coming up from the south. Uh, no king wants a war on two fronts. So Sennacherib tries to, to wrap things up quickly in Jerusalem, ideally with a quick surrender. Uh, so the rapture goes back with pretty much the same message he's already said. And now, finally, Hezekiah steps up. Or rather, he, he kneels down. He prays for God to save his people. But it's framed with a desire to see God get the glory he deserves. Verse 14 of chapter 37, Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. And Hezekiah prayed to the Lord, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, who is enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were no gods but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. You see, Hezekiah knows to oppose God's people is to oppose God. And the Lord God agrees, verse 22. This is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him, the king of Assyria. She despises you, she scorns you, the virgin daughter of Zion. She wags her head behind you, the daughter of Jerusalem. Whom have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights? Against the Holy One of Israel. Talk about biting off more than you can chew. Assyria thought they had won all these great victories. They were so proud, so smug, thinking they were so strong, so clever. But look at chapter 37, verse 26 again. Have you not heard that I determined it long ago? 
I planned from days of old what, what now I bring to pass, that you should make fortified cities crash into heaps of ruins while their inhabitants, shorn of strength, are dismayed and confounded and have become like plants of the field and like tender grass, like grass on the housetops, blighted before it is grown. I know you're sitting down and you're going out and coming in and you're raging against me. Because you've raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put a hook in your nose and my bit in your mouth, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. Now we know God's word is so sure. It is so certain. This is effectively game over. Uh, the king of Assyria won't even be able to shoot an arrow without God say so. And so it's no surprise the final account is brief, almost clinical. God's word does exactly what it says. He does what he says he will do. His word wins. Verse 36. The angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nisroch, his god, Adramelech and Sherezer, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. You cannot mock God and win. In fact, God had already said he'd do this back in chapter 10. Oh, my people who dwell in Zion, be not afraid of the Assyrians when they strike with the rod and lift up their staff against you as the Egyptians did. For in a very little while, my fury will come to an end and my anger will be directed to their destruction. God pictures them getting all the way to Jerusalem, shaking their fist and then getting locked down. You see, not for a nanosecond is any of this in any doubt. And it is a, a brilliant little snapshot of how the Lord works, how he always achieves his victory. It reminds me of Moses' words to the Israelites as they're about to pass through the Red Sea. He says in Exodus 14, Fear not, stand firm, see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Egyptians whom you see today, you'll never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You have only to be silent. God is the one who wins the victory. And this victory here in Isaiah, it doesn't just look back, it also looks forward. We know, don't we, that at the cross, God has disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus has won the victory. So for God's people living in exile, they could look back at this moment in time here, Isaiah 36, 37, and they could know God is the king. His word always triumphs. And with even more confidence, we can look back to the cross and the resurrection and know God's word wins. We really can trust him, even when the heat is on. At the Lord's Supper that will share together in a moment. It is a, it is a great strengthener of our faith, a great reminder the word of the Lord wins. Our king triumphs over every enemy. And how do we share in his victory? What does Jesus say in John 5, verse 24? Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. I take it we're not expecting to face an Assyrian army in the coming days, not, not many of us in that situation. 
But we do face a world still opposed to God and his people. And we still live in a world where sometimes we're faced with seemingly impossible situations. And so the key question still remains, on what do you rest this trust of yours? Where do we turn when things head south? Does trusting God really work? Even in the extreme situations? The earthquake in Turkey and Syria has been all over the news this last week. People are understandably desperate to rescue folk trapped underneath the rubble. As I mentioned, there are details of how to support relief aid in the church family news email. But it has been a sobering reminder, both about the fragility of life, and none of us knows what tomorrow will bring, but it also underlines the necessity of a rescue, of deliverance. Uh, Like Hezekiah and the people of Israel, we face the just wrath of God. It's not a human army we face, it is hell. But God's word promises rescue from a seemingly impossible scenario. Will we trust his word to save? And if Jesus rescues us from hell through the cross, we can trust him in everything else. But what does trusting look like? What does firm faith look like? Well, Hezekiah gives us a great example. He puts on sackcloth a picture of repentance, turning back to God, and he prays. He asks God to save him. As simple as that. Uh, Turning to God in repentance and faith is the only appropriate response. Only God delivers on his word, and so only God can be trusted. It's worth thinking through what things we rely on, especially when we feel threatened. And then in God's strength, we must resolve to trust in his word alone to save. And we express this trust by turning back to God through Jesus and praying to him. As we close, believing a crucified God can save us seems weak and pathetic. When all we have is his word, it seems insufficient. It can be especially hard when the world mocks. But knowing God's word wins, knowing Jesus has already won, well, it means we don't have to keep silent like Hezekiah's servants did. Now, we can speak boldly. It's interesting how the believer's prayer in Acts chapter 4 directly maps onto Hezekiah's prayer. Just listen in. First, they underline God's control over creation. They say in Acts 4, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Then, just like Hezekiah, they outline the opposition to God and his people. Who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Again, they know, like Hezekiah, God is the one ultimately in control. And then finally, there's the appeal that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that God alone is the Lord. But just listen to how it's put in Acts chapter 4. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. 
And see, for us to pray like Hezekiah doesn't mean 185,000 Assyrians dying. It means you and me speaking of Jesus with greater boldness so the whole world might come to know that he alone can save. He alone is king over the nations. Anyone and everyone can trust God's word to save, even in a mocking world. Let's pray together. Some more words from Psalm 46. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Father God, thank you for the absolute confidence we can have in your word. Thank you that your word always wins. I thank you that we can look back to Jesus' death and resurrection and have our complete confidence in your word. And please help us to keep trusting your word to save, even in a world that mocks and derides and taunts, a world that seems to offer so much but is ultimately a, a fake, a false salvation. Please help us to keep looking to Jesus and keep clinging to his word, we pray. In his name and for your glory. Amen.